Oh yeah, I'm back. You're back. It's the Non-Believer Bible Club. Hey, remember that time the Israelites sacrificed a goat to a fallen angel? We just read it. Leviticus 16.8 And Aaron shall cast lots upon the two goats, one lot for the Lord, and the other lot for the scapegoat. Did you catch it? No? Let's look at the original Hebrew. And he shall place lots upon the two goats, one marked for Yahweh, and the other marked for... (sighs) Azazel. Who is Azazel? Azazel, also known as Azazel, also known as Azizel, is a fallen angel who appears in the Book of Enoch. The Book of Enoch and the Book of Giants were both found as fragments from the Qumran Dead Sea Scrolls discovered in 1946. In both of them are descriptions of the angel Azazel. He is an angel that is known as a watcher. In the Book of Enoch, the watchers are responsible for corrupting man. In fact, these are the same sons of God from Genesis 6 who saw the daughters of men that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. With this meaning, we have angels breeding with humans, creating Nephilim and giants. And I can't believe this is the Bible. This sounds like fantasy. Azazel himself took a special role. He taught men the art of warfare, of making swords, knives, shields, coats of mail, and taught women the art of deception by ornamenting the body, dyeing the hair, and painting the face and eyebrows. So he taught the men how to fight, and the women to wear makeup. Nice. Then, God has the other angels bind Azazel's hands and feet and have him chained to a rock to abide in darkness until the day of judgment. Prometheus gave us fire. Azazel, makeup. The whole earth has been corrupted through the works that were taught by Azazel. To him ascribe all sin. Book of Enoch, chapter 10, verse 8. So, if this is the intended translation of the original Hebrew, then we are saying that the ancient Israelites should sacrifice one goat to Yahweh and another goat to a sword-swinging, makeup-wearing, mating-with-fair-maidens. This guy's actually starting to sound like a badass. Basically, the worst angel imaginable. He did not get the job description. He just went down to earth started teaching him all the cool. He's like the cool older brother angel, and he gets burned for it. So why his inclusion in the ritual? And why have modern translations interpreted this differently? Well, step inside my office. This is why we're here. One of the first translations of the Bible that was not in its original Hebrew is the Greek Septuagint. In the Septuagint, the name Azazel seems to be translated as a term, the sent away the goat which leaves, or the mighty scent, giving us the goat on which the lot of the sent away one fell shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over it that it may be sent away into the wilderness. For another comparison, here's Young's literal translation. And Aaron hath given lots over the two goats, one lot for Jehovah, and one lot for a goat of departure. This goat of departure or goat that departs, from the Greek, tragos apapompaios, is then translated into Latin as 
Capper emissarius, emissary goat. This is what William Tyndale, in his 1530 Bible, translates as the escape goat. It is this translation that is responsible for the current term, scapegoat, a term that would not exist if somebody in the year 1530 didn't translate emissary into escape. That's pretty cool. The translations don't end there. Another older Jewish translation reads Azazel as coming from two roots, as meaning rugged, and El of God. In rabbinical Judaism, this develops into the idea that the goat is led out into the wilderness and shoved off of a rugged mountaintop. This is gone into in detail in the Mishnah Yoma 39a. They have a small group of guys bring the goat out. It's so dense. There's like a mountaintop that he has to go to, and there's different way stations along each way. And then, I shit you not, the one leading the goat is formally offered food and drink at each way station, which he also has to formally refuse. So he's given food and water nine times, and nine times he has to say, "Mm, no, thank you. And not only does he have to do this, it's part of the ritual. He gets to the top, the rest of the group has to hang back, and he alone shoves the goat off and then holds up a white handkerchief so that the other group can see they hold up a white handkerchief, and then this goes all the way back to the high priest who waits for this information to continue with the rest of the ritual. It's just it's just a lot. It's a lot to process. So we have the ritual. We have the etymological reasons that describe how we get from Azazel to the scapegoat. But what is the original Jewish idea behind a sacrifice to Azazel in the first place? Remember how Azazel is described. The whole earth has been corrupted through the works that were taught by Azazel, To him, ascribe all sin. What is a better scapegoat than a divine entity on which you can confer all corruption? The scapegoat ritual is about purging the sin of the group. One goat is killed for the glory of God. He is clean and pure. But the other goat is burdened and made impure with the sins of the community. This is why it has to be excised from the group. Both spiritually and physically, it's led outside of the tabernacle, outside of the camp, so far into the wilderness where it's shoved off of a cliff and dies on the bottom of a ravine. Cruel? Maybe so. But, for me, the best lessons have the best imagery. That which is pure and safe stays here. That which is dangerous for the community, must be cast out. And what are you going to think of? A broken goat at the bottom of a cliff, far outside the tents, in the middle of the wilderness. That's where Azazel is. That's where sin goes to die. Or in the words of Maimonides, these ceremonies are of a symbolic character and serve to impress men with a certain idea and to induce them to repent, as if to say, We have freed ourselves of our previous deeds, have cast them behind our backs, and removed them from us as far as possible. So next time you see someone tying a red string around a goat's horns and hurling it off of a cliff, you know, maybe you should be doing it with him too. He knows what he's doing. It's an important ritual, has a lot of history. 
Just don't start the ritual hungry. There's a lot of food you gotta refuse. Okay, now that we've cast off our scapegoats into the abyss, poor guys, joineth me. Let's creepeth back in for some more Leviticus. Back to some laws. Leviticus 19. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto all the congregation of the children of Israel, and say unto them, Ye shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Ye shall fear every man his mother, and his father, and keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. That sounds like to me, be afraid of your parents. Can't argue that. Fear is crucial to parenting. Turn ye not unto idols, nor make to yourself molten gods. I'm the Lord, your God. And if ye offer a sacrifice of peace offerings unto the Lord, ye shall offer it at your own will. It shall be eaten the same day ye offer it, and on the morrow. And if aught remain until the third day, it shall be burnt in the fire. And if it be eaten at all on the third day, it is abominable. It shall not be accepted. Therefore every one that eateth it shall bear his iniquity, because he hath profaned the hallowed thing of the Lord, and that soul shall be cut off from among his people. I do like that terminology, bearing the iniquity. It's not just, you have sinned. It's not just, you fucked up. It's, you must bear your iniquity. And when ye reap the harvest of your land, thou shalt not wholly reap the corners of thy field, neither shalt thou gather the gleanings of thy harvest. So what Ellicott's calls the gleanings refers to the ears of corn, for example, somebody drops while they're harvesting. And I forget how I know this, maybe they'll actually go into it later, in which case I'm spoiling the Bible for you. But the idea is that you reap what you need, and then you keep a little bit extra on the side. And this is for personal charity. If you want to give to the poor, then you can do that, which is good policy for anything that you do. If you make a little bit of money, set aside some for taxes, then a little bit if you want to donate to somebody. Keeps the world around you happy, keeps the field happy, keeps you happy. And thou shalt not glean thy vineyard, neither shalt thou gather every grape of thy vineyard. Thou shalt leave them for the poor and stranger. See, I am the Lord your God. Ye shall not steal, neither deal falsely, neither lie one to another. And ye shall not swear by my name falsely, neither shalt thou profane the name of thy God. I am the Lord. Thou shalt not defraud thy neighbor, neither rob him. The wages of him that is hired shall not abide with thee all night until the morning. You hear that? Speaking on behalf of anybody who works for hire. If they did the work, pay them. Thou shalt not defraud thy neighbor, neither rob him. Keeping someone's wages is just as good as robbing him. Thou shalt not curse the deaf, nor put a stumbling block before the blind, but shalt fear thy God. And you guessed it, I am the Lord. Ye shall do no unrighteousness in judgment. Thou shalt not respect the person of the poor, nor honor the person of the mighty, but in righteousness shalt thou judge thy neighbor. Ellicott's commentary again refers to Exodus 23.3. Neither shalt thou countenance a poor man in his cause. Also translating to, 
do not show favoritism to a poor person in a lawsuit. So this is actually about the law. Ye shall do no unrighteousness in judgment. There should be no favoritism between one person and another, whether poor or wealthy. I am the Lord. Verse 16, thou shalt not go up and down, up and down, as a talebearer among thy people. Neither shalt thou stand against the blood of thy neighbor. I am the Lord. So, don't be a gossip. Don't make things worse for the people around you. 17. Thou shalt not hate thy brother in thine heart. Thou shalt in any wise rebuke thy neighbor and not suffer sin upon him. You don't have to be friends. Just don't hate him. You can't let that evil enter your heart. Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. Getting close to them Jesus-y teachings. Ye shall keep my statutes. Thou shalt not let thy cattle gender with a diverse kind. Thou shalt not sow thy field with mingled seed. Neither shall a garment mingled of linen and woolen come upon thee. I've heard this one. I love how arbitrary that sounds, but with a little bit of investigation, I'm sure there's some reason they don't want that. I think this pairs nicely with the Aramaic Bible in plain English verse. Keep my commands. You shall not breed your cattle by mixture, and do not sow your field by mixture, and you shall not put on a cloak of mixtures that are mixed. So mixing is the problem. I've seen a few interpretations on either side of this, one saying that, well, the mixture is just referring to two unalike things, believers and unbelievers, the cup of Christ or the cup of Satan. Ellicott says more specifically about the mixture of wool and flax. One of the reasons which the ancient canonists assign for this prohibition is that wool and linen were appointed for the priests alone. This law is observed by the Orthodox Jews to this day. The law laid down in this verse is substantially repeated in Deuteronomy 22, 9 through 11. Letting your cattle breed with those of diverse kinds kind of reminds me of the uh, goat eugenics that we saw in Genesis. So maybe it's a good idea that we keep different kinds of strains of cattle away from each other. The strong with the strong, the weak with the weak, or else we're going to get another Laban situation. Another argument I saw is that this is compatible with Leviticus 18.22. Thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is an abomination. If you happen to be unfamiliar with this verse, we go into it extensively in the previous episode. But the comparison here just doesn't make sense. This is arguing for likes with likes. Man is pretty alike man. But Leviticus 18.22 makes doubly less sense here. Leviticus 18 deals with mostly incest. This is talking about cattle and flax. So, nice try. Continuing, and whosoever lieth carnally with a woman that is a bondmaid, betrothed to an husband, and not at all redeemed, nor freedom given her, she shall be scourged. Whoa. They shall not be put to death, because she was not free. But she will be scourged. Bummer. And he shall bring his trespass offering unto the Lord, unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, even a ram for a trespass offering. And the priest shall make an atonement for him with the ram of the trespass offering before the Lord for his sin which he hath done. And the sin which he hath done 
shall be forgiven him. And when ye shall come into the land, and shall have planted all manner of trees for food, then ye shall count the fruit thereof as uncircumcised. Three years shall it be as uncircumcised unto you, it shall not be eaten of. But in the fourth year, all the fruit thereof shall be holy to praise the Lord withal. And in the fifth year, shall ye eat of the fruit thereof, that it may yield unto you the increase thereof. I am the Lord your God. How interesting. This has laws even encouraging that they can't eat of the fruit of the land until they've successfully made it their own. Not even the fruit of the tree in this foreign land is safe. When they get to the promised land, when they get to Canaan, eventually, however many fucking hundreds of years from now, they're still going to have to wait four years to use the fruit as an offering, and only on the fifth year do they get to eat it. Long time to wait for some dates. Verse 26, ye shall not eat anything with the blood. None of that blood. Neither shall ye use enchantment, nor observe times. Oh, I want to know what that means. Observe times. Is that custom? Or is that some kind of divination? Looking at the stars? New International Version. Do not eat any meat with the blood still in it. Do not practice divination or seek omens. Do not eat meat that has been drained of its blood. New Living Translation. Do not practice fortune-telling or witchcraft. English Standard Version. You should not interpret omens or tell fortunes. Brenton Septuagint Version. Eat not on the mountains, nor shall ye employ auguries, nor divine by inspection of birds. Ooh, dewy rames. You shall not eat with blood. You shall not divine, nor observe dreams. Ooh, Young's literal translation. Ye do not eat with the blood. Ye do not enchant, nor observe clouds. Ellicott's commentary on times says, This, according to the same authorities, consists in Quote, taking notice of the seasons and days, and in saying, this is a good day to begin a journey, tomorrow will be lucky to make a purchase. <laughs> so don't do that. Nice, that's a good smattering. Choose what you will. Verse 27, ye shall not round the corners of your heads, neither shalt thou mar the corners of thy beard. Ah, to trim the beard is vanity, is my guess. You think I would have learned by now. According to the commentaries, the process of rounding off the edges made your hair look more spherical. Quote, this was done by the Arabs and other worshippers of the god Orotal. So, don't do that because it's worshipping a god of another religion. Likewise, the beard was regarded by the Hebrews and other Eastern nations as the greatest of a man and was as dear to them as life itself. It was the object of salutation from 2 Samuel chapter 20, verse 9. And Joab said to Amasa, Art thou in health, my brother? And Joab took Amasa by the beard with the right hand to kiss him. Hell yeah! When did this stop being a thing? <laughs> hey, bro. Hmm. Beard's looking pretty long today. Yes, I am in good health. Men, men, grab each other by the beards. So, beards are important. Okay. Verse 28, ye shall not make any cuttings in your flesh for the dead. Wow. Nor print any marks upon you. I am the Lord. Okay, so we're running into the major prohibitions 
that we find are talked about even today. So some take Leviticus 18.22 to be against homosexuality. This is the law where they say uh, the Bible's also against tattoos. Ten bucks is going to be like, well, tattoos were a part of some other fucking religion, so... Yes, it looks like tattoos were used to mark slaves with the names of their master, or soldiers with the name of their general, and for the worshiper, the image of his tutelar deity. The problem seems to stem also from the fact that man is made in God's image, and things like cutting the flesh for the dead, which was a popular custom for mourners at the time, or having tattoos, which pierce the skin. These things were defiling the holy body of God. To obviate this disfiguration of the body, and yet to exhibit the emblem of his creed, the Mosaic law enacted that the Hebrew shall have phylacteries, which he is to bind as a sign upon his hand and as a memorial between his eyes, that the Lord's law may be in his mouth. Now this is kind of cool. A phylactery, also known as tefillin in Hebrew, is a small black box that you tie to your body with a leather strap. One goes on the hand or arm. The other one goes on the top of your head. And inside are tiny Torah scrolls that are imprinted with a prayer. They are worn each weekday morning during prayer and are removed at the conclusion of morning prayer services. When they're on your body, they're supposed to keep you focused on worship. The funny thing about tattoos is even on a basic level, you forget about them. Get a tattoo, one and done. For the phylacteries or tefillin, you have to actually put it on, wrap it around your arm seven times, put this box on top of your head, so the entire time it's on you, you know. Tattoos may be permanent, but it's nothing like tying a box to your head. It recommends a Hebrew to use these as, quote, the emblem of his creed. So, does the Bible hate tattoos? I see most of this stuff as circumstantial. It has its reality in a specific time, in a specific context. I'm sure if tattoos were used in a constructive way back then, it'd be like, you must have tattoos. But maybe it was unsanitary. Maybe it was like the uh, circumcision ritual. It could only be done with a flint knife. Flint which sheds its sides, always being sharp and as a side effect, sanitized. Maybe it's a modesty thing. If you have a tattoo, it's probably going to be shown. The argument that tattoos mortify the flesh is kind of shaky. Otherwise, how do we explain Christian flagellants who whip their own bodies in penance to try to experience the suffering of Christ? Well, actually, the easy answer is that when Christ died, all of the Old Testament laws became moot. Always the Christian answer. Other than that, does God not love you anymore if you get tattoos? Probably not. He doesn't like you because you spilled your seed, and now you are unclean until the even. Verse 29. Do not prostitute thy daughter. Oh, yeah, that's why. You prostituted your daughter, too. What were you thinking? It says it right here. Do not prostitute thy daughter to cause her to be a whore, lest the land fall to whoredom and the land become full of wickedness. Don't you hate it when the land falls to whoredom? Ye shall keep my Sabbaths, and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. Regard not them that have familiar spirits, neither seek after wizards to be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. Thou shalt rise up before the hoary head 
and honor the face of the old man. Now, this is this is a different kind of hoary. This is H-O-A-R-Y, which means kind of withered or white, like hoarfrost. So good whore. There's bad whore and good whore. This is the good whore. Hoary. So honor the face of the old man and fear thy God. I am the Lord. Respect your elders. And if a stranger sojourn with thee in your land, ye shall not vex him. But the stranger that dwelleth with you shall be unto you as one born among you. And thou shalt love him as thyself, for ye were strangers in the land of Egypt. Never forget, I am the Lord your God. Ye shall do no unrighteousness in judgment, in mediard, meteyard, in weight or in measure. Mediard. Jeez, getting too old English for me. Today's answer coming from Benson's commentary. In meteyard refers to in the measuring of lands or dry things, such as cloth or ribband. That's R-I-B-A-N-D, ribband. Old English for ribbon. <laughs> so in judgment, in meteyard, in weight, or in measure, ye shall do no unrighteousness. Just balances, just weights, a just effa, and a just hin shall ye have. Those are kinds of ancient Hebrew measurements. I am the Lord your God, which brought you out of the land of Egypt. Don't forget! Therefore shall ye observe all my statutes, and all my judgments, and do them. I am the Lord. So ends chapter 19, which is also subtitled, A Repetition of Various Laws. Guess I should have started with that, but hey, if you're worried that all these are starting to sound the same, they are the same. We had so many laws, they're like, let's just say some more laws that were the same laws over again. You like laws with your laws? Chapter 20. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Again, thou shalt say to the children of Israel, Whosoever he be of the children of Israel, or of the strangers that sojourn in Israel, that giveth any of his seed unto Moloch. He shall surely be put to death. The people of the land shall stone him with stones. Yeah, I'll stone anybody with a stone who sacrifices a kid to Molech. If you don't remember from last time, that refers to a child being burned in a ritual effigy on an iron bull. It's a representation of the bull god Molech. Apparently that was real popular at the time. You kill a kid, we throw rocks at you. Done. And I will set my face against that man, and will cut him off from among his people, because he hath given of his seed unto Molech to defile my sanctuary and to profane my holy name. That's kind of funny, though. <laughs> they're, they're more pissed off about what it means religiously than, no, that, that's, that's not fair, because the kid is made in the image of God. So that makes sense that they would not be cool with it either way. I always have to remember not to look too backwards from a modern standpoint. I can say, sure, they were more pissed off about this disrespecting God than killing the kid. But in reality, the idea of this is probably more closer to God is the ultimate law of the land. The worst thing that you could do is to pervert his laws. The religion is always the primary context for all of the transgressions that you see. It's why they took it so seriously. At the same time, I do remember when a murdering rapist is let back into general pop 
and the benevolent blasphemer was crucified. So, I guess man is pretty bad at being God. What can I say? It's all a mess. Verse 4. And if the people of the land do any ways hide their eyes from the man, when he giveth of his seed unto Molech, and kill him not, then I will set my face against that man and against his family, and will cut him off, and all that go a whoring after him to commit whoredom with Moloch from among their people. Ooh. So so worshiping other gods is literally equivalent to whoredom. And the soul that turneth after such as have familiar spirits and after wizards to go a whoring after them. They're talking about Snape. So sexy. I will even set my face against that soul and will cut him off from among his people. Sanctify yourselves, therefore, and be ye holy, for I am the Lord your God. And ye shall keep my statutes and do them. I am the Lord, which sanctify you. For everyone that curseth his father or his mother shall be surely put to death. He hath cursed his father or his mother. His blood shall be upon him. And the man that committeth adultery with another man's wife, even he that committeth adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress, shall surely be put to death. (sighs) Rough. And the man that lieth with his father's wife hath uncovered his father's nakedness. Both of them shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. Wow. So when you do sin, your own blood shall be upon you. You're responsible. And you remember the measure of the law, human blood. And if a man lie with his daughter-in-law, both of them shall surely be put to death. They have wrought confusion. Their blood shall be upon them. If a man also lie with mankind, as he lieth with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. Now again, since this is such a loaded verse, for my full analysis and interpretation of this, please see the previous episode, episode 32, Abomination. Long story short, the law seems to refer more to incest. There's a lot of vagueness in the interpretation because not only was this written hundreds of hundreds of years ago, but they aren't even looking at relationships the way we do. Dating didn't exist. Anyway, it's all really interesting. Check it out. Verse 14. And if a man take a wife and her mother, it is wickedness. They shall be burnt with fire, both he and they, that there be no wickedness among you. Still, that's really hard to swing, though. Guys got game. Sorry, had game. And if a man lie with a beast, he shall surely be put to death, and ye shall slay the beast. (laughs) No sin offering for that guy, huh? And if a woman approach unto any beast, and lie down there too, thou shalt kill the woman and the beast. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. And if a man shall take his sister, his father's daughter, or his mother's daughter, and see her nakedness, and she see his nakedness, whoa, it is a wicked thing, and they shall be cut off in the sight of their people. He hath uncovered his sister's nakedness. He shall bear his iniquity. They don't get killed, though. No death. Interesting. And if a man shall lie with a woman having her sickness, and shall uncover her nakedness, he hath discovered her fountain, 
and she hath uncovered the fountain of her blood, and both of them shall be cut off from among their people. Sex on your period. Bad. See, and it's like, you got to think that generations of Americans have read this and internalized this. You wonder where certain stigmas come from. Like, well, if I'm a doting youth from the 1950s and all I've done is read the Bible, it's like, yeah, I'm going to have some pretty specific views about sexuality. Well, this is it, folks. Again, maybe you were raised in this, but this is all new for me. The fountain must lay undiscovered. 19. And thou shalt not uncover the nakedness of thy mother's sister, nor of thy father's sister, for he uncovereth his near kin. They shall bear their iniquity. And if a man shall lie with his uncle's wife, he hath uncovered his uncle's nakedness. They shall bear their sin. They shall die childless. Yeesh. And if I met, I wonder what would happen if they had a kid. Does that mean they killed the kid? <laughs> they don't sacrifice it to Molech, though. Ugh. This is what makes anime so good, like Death Note, where there's these rules. It's like, well, I can't do this, but this rule says that I do have to do this. So now we get like a hidden third rule. So the commentaries say, their children shall die before them or shall not be reputed their genuine children, but bastards, and therefore excluded from the congregation of the Lord, per Deuteronomy 23.2. We're coming for you soon, Deuteronomy. Another one from Barnes' Notes on the Bible. Either the offspring should not be regarded as lawfully theirs, nor be entitled to any hereditary privileges, or they should have no blessing in their children. So either God lets them die, or the people let them bureaucratically die. <laughs> Verse 21. And if a man shall take his brother's wife, it is an unclean thing. He hath uncovered his brother's nakedness. They shall be childless. Ye shall therefore keep all my statutes and all my judgments, and do them, that the land whither I bring you to dwell therein spew you not out. And ye shall not walk in the manners of the nation, which I cast out before you, for they committed all these things, and therefore I abhorred them. But I have said unto you, Ye shall inherit their land, and I will give it unto you to possess it, a land that floweth with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God, which have separated you from other people. Ye shall therefore put difference between clean beasts and unclean, and between unclean fowls and clean, and ye shall not make your souls abominable by beast, or by fowl, or by any manner of living thing that creepeth on the ground, creep, which I have separated from you as unclean. And ye shall be holy unto me, for I the Lord am holy, and have severed you from other people, yet ye should be mine. A man also, or woman that hath a familiar spirit, or that is a wizard, for the last time, no wizards, shall surely be put to death. They shall stone them with stones. Their blood shall be upon them. Chapter 21. And the Lord said unto Moses, Speak unto the priests, the sons of Aaron, and say unto them, There shall none be defiled for the dead among his people, but for his kin that is near unto him, that is, for his mother and for his father, and for his son and for his daughter and for his brother, and for his sister, a virgin, that is nigh unto him, which hath had no husband, for her may he be defiled. But he shall not defile himself, being a chief man among his people, to profane himself. They shall not make baldness upon their head, neither shall they shave off the corner of their beard, nor make any cuttings in their flesh. 
they shall be holy unto their God, and not profane the name of their God. For the offerings of the Lord made by fire, and the bread of their God, they do offer. Therefore, they shall be holy. They shall not take a wife that is a whore, or profane. Neither shall they take a woman put away from her husband, for he is holy unto his God. Thou shalt sanctify him therefore, for he offereth the bread of thy God. He shall be holy unto thee, for I, the Lord, which sanctify you, am holy. Page turn. Now, most of these are pretty straightforward, but I like going to the commentaries when I find something that I find really interesting. So, according to this, Ellicott's, of course. Accordingly, they enacted that not only touching a dead body, but coming within four cubits of it, entering the house where the corpse lay, entering a burial place, following to the grave, or the manifestation of mourning for the departed pollutes the priest, and consequently renders him unfit for performing the services of the sanctuary. So if you remember when Nadib and Abihu were killed by God, his entire family therefore could not mourn. They couldn't cut their beard. They couldn't do anything. Why? Because they were priests. The priest must remain holy. They have to exist for the good of the community. So their laws are different. They shall not make baldness upon their head, neither shall they shave off the corner of their beard, nor make any cuttings in their flesh. Verse 9. And the daughter of any priest, if she profane herself by playing the whore, she profaneth her father. She shall be burnt with fire. Holy shit. I need a set her on fire, man. Okay, I get it. It was the fact that she's the daughter of the priest, which is why they have all this vaginal oversight. And he that is the high priest among his brethren, upon whose head the anointing oil was poured, and that is consecrated to put on the garments shall not uncover his head, nor rend his clothes. Remember, these were things done in mourning. Jacob rent his clothes when he thought Joseph was dead. If he was a priest, no go. Neither shall he go in to any dead body, nor defile himself for his father or for his mother. Neither shall he go out of the sanctuary, again, only so long as he's in mourning, nor profane the sanctuary of his God, for the crown of the anointing oil of his God is upon him. I am the Lord. And he shall take a wife in her virginity. Whoa. A widow or a divorced woman, or profane or an harlot, these shall he not take. But he shall take a virgin of his own people to wife. Neither shall he profane his seed among his people. For I, the Lord, do sanctify him. Man, all these laws concerning purity, virginity, I think there wouldn't be so many sex scandals. Or this is exactly why there are sex scandals. Yeesh. Here's what Ellicott has to say about verse 13. And he shall take a wife in her virginity. From this verse, the administrators of the law during the second temple concluded that one, the high priest must be the husband of one wife, though the ordinary priests might have several. Two, that she must be a virgin under the age of 13. Ugh. Three, that she must not even have been betrothed to any person and that for she must be the daughter of Jewish parents by race, as stated in the next verse. The first of these enactments is also enjoined by St. Paul on Christian bishops. So by the time Christianity rolls around, this verse is used to try to weed out polygamy. And regarding the virginity of the wife and age, this wife the high priest was to take was to be a virgin who was not quite ripe for marriage or the time of her puberty not fully completed, which was the age of 12 years, 
that it might be out of all doubt that she was a pure virgin, since it is said, in her virginity, within the time of her puberty, before it was quite up. This by many is thought to be an emblem of Christ and his church, as he was typified by the high priest. So the church, by the virgin he married, which is espoused to Christ, as a chaste virgin. Nah, nah, no. Nope. I could do without the child wives. Man, it was hard for kids back then. Either you get married real young, or potentially sacrificed to Moloch. Rough. And like I do, here's the Jewish interpretation. From Nachmanides, author of the Talmud. He forbids the high priest by means of a negative commandment to marry a widow or any disqualified woman, thus commanding him in a positive sense to take a virgin as a wife. And then the esoteric meaning. The Zohar reveals the secret of why the high priest must marry only a virgin. A woman is a cup of blessing. Tasted is blemished like a cup of wine that has been tasted. It tastes fine, may indeed be quite remarkable, but cannot be used for blessing purposes. Ugh, cold. She's a good glass of wine, but not blessing material. When we ask for a blessing, we seek to draw the sacred energy from our maker to influx and fill up an area that needs light. And what is the greatest receiver? The feminine, the female, the woman. Malchut, the Sechinah. Women below represent the manifestation of the divine presence. Women have more innate holiness than any man can aspire to, both in the role of receiver as well as that of giver, for they birth life, something that only the divine can authorize. A woman who is not a virgin is not physically blemished, but since she has received from another source, another male, she is not at a sufficient level of purity. The job of the high priest is to bless, and all of his being is for that end. For him not to avail himself of all that is of the highest caliber adds potential disruption to the science of the sacred flow. Now, again, all this overemphasis on purity, the purity and the flow, the spiritual flow, which is completely alien to our culture. Well, most modern cultures, where we are encouraged to go out have sex, meet people. But I also have to note, it doesn't really look down upon the person. There's been a lot of mention of whores and whoredom. And it doesn't say that someone who has slept with somebody is a whore, just that they aren't suitable to be the font of the feminine blessing that the high priest needs from God through her, the divine feminine. I'm not saying it's not creepy. It is creepy. But it is also not from our time period. We are living, thankfully, in one of the safest times in human history, ever. I can righteously oppose that, and I do, very righteously, while I can also understand that the culture that created this situation is from a different time. In such a desperate situation, I see how a woman would be relegated to one biological function. As we've said, dating didn't really exist here. It's an unfortunate reality that, especially with the amount of power that one had, they seem to become less of an individual and more of a societal construct, someone defined by their role, by their utility. It's messed up, but they weren't worried about that. They were worried about survival, which is why it's weird to see these kind of apocalypse scenario living in the desert disaster laws being applied today. The obsession over purity and 
the virginity of girls today, which is funny knowing that the original Judaism saw women as the source of the divine. It is unfortunate that this search for purity would have negative consequences on religious culture today. Verse 16, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto Aaron, saying, Whoever he be of thy seed in their generations that hath any blemish, let him not approach to offer the bread of his God. For whatsoever man he be that hath a blemish, he shall not approach, a blind man or a lame, or he that hath a flat nose, or anything superfluous, or a man that is broken-footed or broken-handed, or crook-backed or a dwarf, or that hath a blemish in his eye, or be scurvy or scabbed, or hath his stones broken. His stones? Oh, that does mean what I thought it meant. NIV. Or who has festering or running sores or damaged testicles. English Standard Version. An itching disease or scabs or crushed testicles. Okay, I'm done. No man that hath a blemish of the seed of Aaron the priest shall come nigh to offer the offerings of the Lord made by fire. He hath a blemish. He shall not come nigh to offer the bread of his God. He shall eat the bread of his God, both of the most holy and of the holy. Only he shall not go in unto the veil, nor come nigh unto the altar, because he hath a blemish, that he profane not my sanctuaries, for I the Lord do sanctify them. And Moses told it unto Aaron, and to his sons, and unto all the children of Israel. Again, it's cool if you have these things. If you have scurvy, or you're a dwarf, or your stones are broken. According to Ellicott, he was not only allowed to partake of the less holy sacrificial gifts, such as the peace shoulder, the tithes, and the first fruits, but also to eat what remained of the meat offerings, the sin offerings, and the trespass offerings, which were most holy. He is simply unfit for serving at the altar, reduced to do the menial work connected with the sanctuary. Couldn't be a high priest. No stones, no priestdom. Chapter 22. The priests in their uncleanness must abstain from the holy things. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto Aaron and to his sons, that they separate themselves from the holy things of the children of Israel, and that they profane not my holy name in those things which they hallow unto me. I am the Lord. Say unto them, Whoever he be of all your seed among your generations, that goeth unto the holy things, which the children of Israel hallow unto the Lord, having his uncleanness upon him, that soul shall be cut off from my presence. I am the Lord. What man soever of the seed of Aaron is a leper, or hath a running issue, he shall not eat of the holy things until he be clean. And we know all the steps for him to be clean, don't we? At least the last five episodes talking about this. Kill one bird, let another bird go, bleed it dry and set it on fire, and... Anyway. And whoso toucheth anything that is unclean by the dead, or a man whose seed goeth from him, or whosoever toucheth any creeping thing, whereby he may be made unclean, or a man of whom he may take uncleanness, whatsoever uncleanness he hath, the soul which hath touched any soul shall be unclean until even, and shall not eat of the holy things, unless he wash his flesh with water. And when the sun is down, he shall be clean, and shall afterward eat of the holy things, because it is his food. That which dieth of itself 
or is torn with beasts, he shall not eat to defile himself therewith. I am the Lord. They shall therefore keep mine ordinance, lest they bear sin for it, and die therefore, if they profane it. I, the Lord, do sanctify them. Verse 10. There shall no stranger eat of the holy thing. A sojourner of the priest, or an hired servant, shall not eat of the holy thing. But if the priest buy any soul with his money, he shall eat of it. And he that is born in his house, they shall eat of his meat. If the priest's daughter also be married unto a stranger, she may not eat an offering of the holy things. But if the priest's daughter be a widow or divorced and have no child, and is returned unto her father's house as in her youth, she shall eat of her father's meat, but there shall no stranger eat thereof. And if a man eat of the holy thing unwittingly, then he shall put the fifth part thereof unto it, and shall give it unto the priest with the holy thing. And they shall not profane the holy things of the children of Israel, which they offer unto the Lord, or suffer them to bear the iniquity of trespass, when they eat their holy things, for I, the Lord, do sanctify them. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto Aaron and to his sons and unto all the children of Israel, and say unto them, Whatsoever he be of the house of Israel or of the strangers in Israel, that will offer his oblation for all his vows and for all his free will offerings, which they will offer unto the Lord for a burnt offering, Ye shall offer at your own will a male without blemish of the beeves of the sheep or of the goats. Beeves apparently is the plural for beef. Learn something new every day. But whatsoever hath a blemish, that shall ye not offer, for it shall not be acceptable for you. And whosoever offereth the sacrifice of peace offerings unto the Lord to accomplish his vow, or a free will offering in beeves or sheep, it shall be perfect to be accepted. There shall be no blemish therein. Blind or broken or maimed, or having a wen or scurvy or scabbed, ye shall not offer these unto the Lord, nor make an offering by fire of them upon the altar unto the Lord. Either a bullock or a lamb that hath anything superfluous or lacking in his parts, that mayest thou offer for a freewill offering, but for a vow it shall not be accepted. Ye shall not offer unto the Lord that which is bruised or crushed or broken, stones or otherwise, or cut. Ugh. Neither shall ye make any offering thereof in your land. Neither from a stranger's hand shall ye offer the bread of your God of any of these, because their corruption is in them, and blemishes be in them. They shall not be accepted for you. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, When a bullock or a sheep or a goat is brought forth, then it shall be seven days under the dam. And from the eighth day, and thenceforth it shall be accepted for an offering, made by fire unto the Lord. And whether it be cow or ewe, ye shall not kill it, and her young both in one day. That would just be mean. And when ye will offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving unto the Lord, offer it at your own will. On the same day it shall be eaten up. Ye shall leave none of it until the morrow. I am the Lord. Therefore shall ye keep my commandments and do them. I am the Lord. Neither shall ye profane my holy name, but I will be hallowed among the children of Israel. I am the Lord, which hallow you. 
that brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord. That is repeated more than any, I guarantee. I'll have to look this up later or maybe wait until I'm done and then (laughs) see if I can guess. But I am the Lord has to be the thing that's repeated the most. I am the Lord, your God. I am the Lord. That continual repetition of that, driving the point home. I joked about this a couple of times because it seems like God's just steezing on the Israelites all the time. Oh, God, I am God. Yes. But I see how important it is to them to recognize. Like when you're making an offering and in your head you're thinking of Moloch accidentally or the other half a million gods that they had, it's important for the Israelites to remember and to know. And considering humans' track record, yeah, they forget a lot of stuff. So the Israelites are in the hot seat right now. They have to remember this. I am the Lord, your God. Chapter 23, moving right along. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, Concerning the feasts of the Lord, which ye shall proclaim to be holy convocations, even these are my feasts. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of rest, and holy convocation. Ye shall do no work therein. It is the Sabbath of the Lord in all your dwellings. And since these are just going in a list of the feast of the Lord, I'll mention the subtitles. First, the Passover. These are the feast of the Lord, even holy convocations, which ye shall proclaim in their seasons. In the fourteenth day of the first month, at even, is the Lord's Passover. And on the fifteenth day of the same month is the feast of unleavened bread unto the Lord. Seven days ye must eat unleavened bread. Wow. A whole week of dry, tasteless bread. In the first day ye shall have an holy convocation. Ye shall do no servile work therein, but ye shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord seven days. In the seventh day is an holy convocation. Ye shall do no servile work therein. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When ye be come into the land which I give unto you, and shall reap the harvest thereof, then ye shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest unto the priest, and he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted for you. On the morrow after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. Now remember, this isn't coming from Moses. At least I don't believe that this was actually written by Moses. I mean, that would be amazing if like a thousand year old scroll was found and it's like, signed Moses. But the essential nature of this text is that this is for the Israelites already in the Holy Land, talking about where they get their holy services. So anytime they're like, and when you are in the Holy Land, it's not just God being a dick. They actually are in the Holy Land. And ye shall offer that day when ye wave the sheaf and he lamb without blemish of the first year for a burnt offering unto the Lord. And the meat offering thereof shall be two-tenth deals of fine flour mingled with oil, an offering made by fire unto the Lord for a sweet savor. And the drink offering thereof shall be of wine, the fourth part of Anhin. And ye shall eat neither bread, nor parched corn, nor green ears, until the selfsame day that ye have brought an offering unto your God. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwellings. 
the Feast of the Pentecost. And ye shall count unto you from the morrow after the Sabbath, from the day that ye brought the sheaf of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be complete. Even unto the morrow after the seventh Sabbath shall ye number fifty days, and ye shall offer a new meat offering unto the Lord. Page turn. Ye shall bring out of your habitations two wave loaves of two tenth deals. They shall be of fine flour. They shall be bacon with leaven. They are the first fruits unto the Lord. Wow, this is this has got to be the first time I've ever seen God say, uh, yeah, throw some leaven in there. What the hell? Like how many times? And there shall not be leaven or you will be cut off and your dick will be cut off and everything will be cut off from the Lord. If I swear if there's any leaven. Wow. Cool. This is a huge moment for me. And ye shall offer with the bread seven lambs without blemish of the first year, and one young bullock, and two rams. They shall be for a burnt offering unto the Lord, with their meat offering and their drink offerings, even an offering made by fire of sweet savor unto the Lord. Then ye shall sacrifice one kid of the goats for a sin offering, and two lambs of the first year for a sacrifice of peace offerings. I gotta say, that's like 13 animals so far. This is a huge production. Imagine killing more than one animal with some sweaty dudes in the desert where you live. Okay. And the priest shall wave them with the bread of the first fruits for a wave offering before the Lord. With the two lambs, they shall be holy to the Lord for the priest. And ye shall proclaim on the selfsame day that it may be an holy convocation unto you. Ye shall do no servile work therein. It shall be a statute forever in all your dwellings throughout your generations. And when ye reap the harvest of your land, thou shalt not make clean riddance of the corners of thy field when thou reapest. Neither shalt thou gather any gleaning of thy harvest. Thou shalt leave them unto the poor and to the stranger. I am the Lord, your God. So first month, 14th day, Passover feast. Then seven weeks after that, the Feast of Pentecost, and then the Feast of Trumpets. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, in the first day of the month, shall ye have a Sabbath, a memorial of blowing of trumpets, and holy convocation. Ye shall do no servile work therein, but ye shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, also on the tenth day of this seventh month there shall be a day of atonement. It shall be an holy convocation unto you, and ye shall afflict your souls, and offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. Having a lot of feasts, got to have some atonement too. And ye shall do no work in that same day, for it is a day of atonement, to make an atonement for you before the Lord your God. For whatsoever soul it be that shall not be afflicted in that same day, he shall be cut off from among his people. And whatsoever soul it be that doeth any work in that same day, the same soul will I destroy from among his people. Ye shall do no manner of work. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwellings. It shall be unto you a Sabbath of rest, and ye shall afflict your souls in the ninth day of the month at even, from even unto even, shall ye celebrate your Sabbath. The Feast of Tabernacles. 
And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, The fifteenth day of this seventh month shall be the Feast of Tabernacles, for seven days unto the Lord. On the first day shall be an holy convocation. Ye shall do no servile work therein. Seven days ye shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. On the eighth day shall be a holy convocation unto you, and ye shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. It is a solemn assembly, and ye shall do no servile work therein. So seven days ye shall offer an offering made by fire. So seven days full of fire sacrifice. And on the eighth day, holy convocation. The party, I guess. These are the feasts of the Lord, which ye shall proclaim to be holy convocations, to offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord, a burnt offering and a meat offering, a sacrifice and drink offerings, everything upon his day. Beside the Sabbaths of the Lord, and beside your gifts, and beside all your vows, and beside all your free will offerings, which ye give unto the Lord. Also in the fifteenth day of the seventh month, when ye have gathered in the fruit of the land, ye shall keep a feast unto the Lord seven days. On the first day shall be a Sabbath, and on the eighth day shall be a Sabbath. Hmm. And ye shall take you on the first day the boughs of goodly trees, branches of palm trees, and the boughs of thick trees, and willows of the brook, and ye shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. So this is still the 15th day of the seventh month is the Feast of Tabernacles. So we had a description of it, and then an aside, these are the feasts that you have to do. And then it continued, oh, by the way, in the Feast of Tabernacles. So what scribe made that happen? Yo, 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 we forgot the part about the trees. Put it in anywhere, I don't know. And ye shall keep it a feast unto the Lord seven days in the year. It shall be a statute forever in your generations. Ye shall celebrate it in the seventh month. Ye shall dwell in booths seven days. All that are Israelites born shall dwell in booths, that your generations may know that I made the children of Israel to dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And Moses declared unto the children of Israel the feasts of the Lord. So I suppose that's why it's called the Feast of Tabernacles, a booth or or temporary dwelling in the other translations, is set up for them to live in. Because even though that's still what they're doing right now, one day they'll be in Canaan. One day they'll have to remember, we lived in booths. We ate the unleavened bread. Chapter 24. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Command the children of Israel that they bring unto thee pure oil olive, beaten for the light, to cause the lamps to burn continually. Without the veil of the testimony in the tabernacle of the congregation shall Aaron order it from the evening unto the morning before the Lord continually. It shall be a statute forever in your generations. He shall order the lamps upon the pure candlestick before the Lord continually. And thou shalt take fine flour and bake twelve cakes thereof, Two-tenth deals shall be in one cake. And thou shalt set them in two rows, six on a row, upon the pure table before the Lord. And thou shalt put pure frankincense upon each row, that it may be on the bread for a memorial, even an offering made by fire unto the Lord. 
sounds delicious. Every Sabbath he shall set it in order before the Lord continually, being taken from the children of Israel by an everlasting covenant. And it shall be Aaron's and his sons, and they shall eat it in the holy place, for it is most holy unto him of the offerings of the Lord, made by fire, by a perpetual statute. And the son of an Israelitish woman, whose father was an Egyptian, went out among the children of Israel. And this son of the Israelitish woman and a man of Israel strove together in the camp. That means they were fighting. And the Israelitish woman's son blasphemed the name of the Lord and cursed. Uh-oh. Man, uh, Nadib and Ab- Nadib and Ab- Nadab and Abihu? Nadab and Abihu were immediately burned alive just for worshiping wrong. And they brought him unto Moses, and his mother's name was Shelomith, the daughter of Dibri, of the tribe of Dan. And they put him in ward, that the mind of the Lord might be shewed them. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, What's the verdict? Bring forth him that hath cursed without the camp, and let all that heard him lay their hands upon his head, and let all the congregations stone him. Wow. And thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel, saying, Whosoever curseth his God shall bear his sin. And he that blasphemeth the name of the Lord, he shall surely be put to death. And all the congregation shall certainly stone him, as well the stranger, as he that is born in the land, when he blasphemeth the name of the Lord, shall be put to death. And he that killeth any man shall surely be put to death. And he that killeth a beast shall make it good, beast for beast. And if a man cause a blemish in his neighbor, as he hath done, so shall it be done to him. Breach for breach, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. As he hath caused a blemish in a man, so shall it be done to him again. And he that killeth a beast, he shall restore it. And he that killeth a man, he shall be put to death. Ye shall have one manner of law, as well for the stranger as for one of your own country. For I am the Lord your God. And Moses spake to the children of Israel that they should bring forth him that had cursed out of the camp and stone him with stones. And the children of Israel did as the Lord commanded Moses. Man, that's brutal. This episode has been full of a lot of things that I just don't relate with. Someone curses the name of God and they are stoned. Like, I'm sure there's a reason why that makes sense in that culture. People were getting killed for any reason at any time. Just as interesting is how these laws have affected our culture. It's interesting. I'm not saying it's all bad necessarily. It's just interesting to consider. People not getting tattoos or being mean to gay people. Or any older person or grandparent who says, Ah, do not take the name of the Lord in vain. You see, they love you. They just don't want you to get stoned. No, it's just, it's interesting to read this and think about what it means now. Will society grow beyond these laws? Again, according to the Christians, they already have. But is that the proper way to contend with them? I don't know. Maybe. I kind of like that people can just say, hey, these are a little outdated. We consider them the law of God, but, you know, if... James has an affair with Maria. 
they don't need to be stoned. So what did we learn this time? Purity is important. If you're the high priest, I'm the Lord your God. Not me, you know, God. Death does not have to be the punishment for transgression, unless that transgression is taking the name of the Lord in vain. All things that are interesting to consider. I'm just going to drop them into the little grab bag. And by the time we finish Leviticus, maybe it'll all make sense. For now, my creeping things, I'm going to let my brain vibrate with all the laws I've read. I hope you are well. I hope you have not sinned. And if you have sinned, you must bear your iniquity until the even. Wash it with water. This has been the Nonbeliever Bible Club. Adios. By the way, I end each episode with adios because Spanish, a Dios, means to God. I thought that was kind of cute. See ya. <laughs>